added time is supported by Fitbit. Get real-time insights on you and your world with the Fitbit Versa 2, the all-new premium smartwatch with Amazon Alexa built in, your personalised sleep score and a five-plus day battery life. The World Cup is over, Pat. Yes, it is. It's, and the reason we know it's over is that Gavin Komsky is sitting in front of us rather than sitting in Japan. He just gave out to me for coming in here. So I, know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know to some people uh, it still exists. You know, there, there are still semifinals and a final to get on with. But uh, I decided as soon as I could see Gavin Komsky in front of my face, that was it. He has the look of a weary traveller about him, doesn't he? Actually, and also somebody preparing for Movember, I presume. <laughs> uh, well, I, I had a caveman beard, so something had to go. Yeah. I just thought I'd kick the mo, you know. All right. Welcome home. Thanks very much. How did you get on? Yeah, it was. Uh, it was fantastic. Yeah. It was uh, the hardest working but most fun trip I've ever done mm. e- easily. Um, like I'd love to say that. Uh, the best bits were when I went off on my own. Like I was like, I, I kind of, you know, I get the hump and go, I got to be doing stuff by myself. And I ended up in Nagoya and in a, like a love hotel. And I was like, I'll get a feature out of this. And I was trying to go to games. And you all are that. a singular man in that respect. Yeah, yeah. That, I, I found that fascinating, but a um, bit intimidating. But then really interesting about, you know, you try to dig into what Japanese culture and life is all about. And I was there for six weeks since my second time. And we know nothing. And, and I hate the way we, uh, I kept trying to kind of kind of grasp it. And like, you would have read stuff Keat read where he really did capture some of the kind of the moods and the pieces of Japanese life. But there's so much more to them. And it, it, it's only when you're there about a month or so that you have to realise what, what a fascinating, wonderful place it is. And what a vast and old place it is. Oh, like it, it, it never ceased to amaze me. Like, and again, I talked to you about this, I think, when I was there, the, uh, the generosity of, of spirit of the people. Um, like I, I came home and ordered food the other night and it was the Japanese delivery man came to the door and he refused to take a tip off me. <laughs> I was like, I, am I still in the... <laughs> it, was, it was so surreal. Um, and like there's also this, there was a real kind of a dark kind of uh, underbelly to it as well because like, it's such a perfect society and then you, you realise in the major cities like the the levels of, uh, like of sex trafficking and prostitution it's really there in front of you and it's, there's, there's so much to that that it's, that's, that's kind of that's very sad, but very real. Um, but when you ask me, like, I know you asked me beforehand to come up with one antidote or one story that, that'll always stay with me. And it, it ha- like, I've got so many things that I did on my own, but just karaoke with 14 male journalists at, till 5 a.m. <laughs> it's just one of the best things you'll ever do. What was your, what was your offering? Um, I, I know for, yeah, me and uh, one of the Indo boys did uh, Bon Jovi. Yeah, we did a few duets of that. Um, was it living on a prayer or something, was it? Um, always. No, oh, I was God. a big duet man. Always? Yeah. Jesus. A lot of R.E.M., <laughs> strangely, and a bit of Radiohead every chance. I did a creep with Derek Foley when we bumped into him on the street one night. Um, there wasn't there was, even karaoke. You just sang in uh, Creep yeah. in the Street with Derek but Foley. The, the funny thing is, you go out, there was a really good... Um, uh, like the the age profile of of the Irish media out there went from like Owen Sheen from Off the Ball is twenty five to Alan English who like and everyone was the same age everyone was the same everyone just wrapped in together so there was um there was some some fun nights out and uh, people just keeping an eye on each other because it gets tough on tour you know it was yeah. uh, it was, right, it was good crack I asked you I wanted you to come in here with some story from some temple in Kyoto <laughs> that told you that spoke to your soul 
of the ancient Japanese art. And you're talking to me of some poxy drunken night with 14 yeah. asshole I, Irish journalists singing yeah, fucking karaoke. Definitely. I chose oh the rugby God. every chance I got between a temple or a, co- right. or a press conference. Well, I went with the press conference. There, there goes my idea of a cultured intro. Will we just ring Jerry and talk to him about the rugby? <laughs> okay. We'll call Jerry there. Uh, Jerry, how are you? Very well, thanks, Malachi. Life without Gavin Comiskey over there is treating you okay? You're surviving? It's definitely different, as would anywhere be without Gavin Comiskey. You know, it all changes. <laughs> um, it's quite quite remarkable, actually. I'd say there was 20-odd in the media crew, and it was a great media crew, one of the best Irish media crews I've ever travelled with. We've heard. Yeah. Uh, no bad levels. Great crack we had all together. And um, and then when Ireland went out, a bit like the Rugby World Cup itself, and then there were four. Wow. So now it's a much smaller pool of players, of, of journals, much like the teams left in, in the tournament as well. Uh, sadly, we must um, we must still uh, concern ourselves with a bit of Ireland fallout. Um, it has um, it hasn't been it has been an unsteady re-entry. I think is the fairest way to put it. There's a, there's a few knives flying around the place. You mean in terms of Issa Nasewa and latterly Brian O'Driscoll? That kind of stuff, yeah. The implicit criticism of uh, Joe Schmidt in terms of not um, evolving the style or as Issa Nasewa surprisingly claimed that they reverted to the tried and trusted formula of the previous six years and didn't go on with the Leinster-influenced rugby that um, helped them win a Grand Slam and win the series in Australia and an unbeaten November culminating the All Blacks. He didn't say at what specific point they revert to type. Um, it's very surprising the criticism coming from Issa Nasewa. I remember interviewing Issa about 2008, 2009, thereabouts. I was very lucky to go on very well with Issa. He's a great bloke. Um, and he would grant me an interview nearly every season. And an annual one. I was around his house, met some of the kids. They got on really well with the lad. Lovely fella. And in the course of one of those earlier interviews, I asked him who was the biggest influence in his career. And he said, Joe Schmidt. And I have to confess... Um, a bit like Arsene Who, I said Joe Who, and uh, he was the assistant coach then at Kermit and had been. Uh, he was assistant coach at the Auckland Blues, and he just said, he's Mr. Rugby. I said, why do you call him that? Because he taught me everything I knew about backlay and space and a rugby pitch. And they had, um, I mean, I would say Issa's best three years at Leinster, like a lot of players, wasn't the three years when Joe Schmidt was coach. Uh, Issa won two Heineken Cups, and then, by way of consolation, the third year a uh, Pro 12 or whatever it was called then and Challenge Cup double. Um, they've had some of the greatest days they've ever had together. And uh, I'd say coming so soon and uh, so swiftly after the exit, um, when Joe would have heard or read about these comments from Issa Nasewa, I'd say they would have hurt him greatly coming from Issa. It looked like the interview was very much um, pre-planned. There was something Issa Nasewa wanted to give off his chest. And James Gemmell in the course of the interview in the Sky Sports blog actually asked him, said to him in the course of one of the questions, you've been texting the players. And so this gives added you know, credence to the idea that there might be an implicit um, approval about all of this coming from some of the leading Leinster players that Easton Asaver would have played with. Um, I feel a bit unclean writing the piece, but it was a, certainly a valid news piece that had to be written. Easton Asaver carries such um, luster amongst Leinster fans. He's, you know, they've serenaded him by name so often. Very few players get to be serenaded by name the way he was. And uh, I just think it, it's going to hurt. It's going to be the deepest cut in many respects for Joe Schmidt when he reads this, um, that he's going to say, will come out and say all of this. Um, yeah, it was, uh, it would be, it's, it's certainly hitting him when he's down. He's in time, many things brilliantly on the pitch. I just thought the timing was a little bit cruel and Joe this one. But Jerry, what other timing is there? Like, this is the aftermath of the World Cup and it's our job to really just re- to report and to find out because people don't know 
And surely Eason Asiwa clearly has learnt, if not as much, but certainly a lot from the Stuart Lancaster years when they won Europe and they played this kind of chaos theory almost that they brought into uh, Ireland's Grand Slam, Ireland's great year under Schmidt. Um, and I, I think you touched on it there. It does really sound like uh, Schmidt or Issa was speaking for a couple of players. If they're senior Leinster players, they're senior Ireland players. So I think we do have, we do have the root of a real problem here. And I think, like, I, if, if somebody doesn't speak up, we'll never know. Like, we've got so many kind of, cle- like, the, the cloak pulled over the Schmidt years where he me- media manages. He wouldn't even speak to us after the game. He wouldn't do the last kind of print huddle. He ended up doing it with, a, like, a a real, like, five questions in in an airport with nobody who was there when it was two days to speak to us. You know, like, if Issa doesn't speak up, who who else will, you know? I've been been critical of that, too, in the way they managed the fallout from the defeat. Um, In in actual fact, I think Joe and or Andy Farrell should have done something before they left. The very fact that they would do something on arrival with um, the vast bulk of the uh, rugby media core in in the air or still here in in Japan was, like, um, seemed like it was avoiding... It was, it was Schmidt 101 though, wasn't it? It's what Schmidt always does. He controls the message. Yeah, and now yeah, he's controlled yeah. the message and we don't have answers. So he, I think he deserves what comes at him now, you know. And it's Issa Nasiwa, as you said yourself, a man who was held in the highest regard here. And he said it. He said it clear as day. He goes, Ireland went one way and they evolved. And then they got back in, in the start of 2019. And we're, we're still not sure. Did we go back to the Schmidt ways? Was there a player revolt? Was the assistant coaches insisting? We've all these questions. And because of the way it's always like, keep it in-house, don't tell them anything. It's so typically vague, I feel. Like, um, like Schmidt hasn't accepted responsibility for failure over the years. He used excuses as the bus, the roof, the weather. He said the players were human after this game last week. He said the players were human after February. There's like countless examples of him. He's never done a long-form, unstructured interview where you can actually challenge him on what he's saying. And like, for him to end in an airport departures lounge, uh, I just don't think that we should accept that as reporters. No, it's poor form. Certainly, as I would agree with you totally. It's poor form. It's very disappointing the way they handle it all. Um, I think the only really um, mea culpa he mentioned was the fact that he allowed it to become too all-consuming. Um, they took their all, um, they, they lost their game-to-game focus from the beginning of the year against England onwards. Um, and I think that's about as far as he's gone with it. The... the the game plan one is an interesting one because I wasn't um, of the view that during the Grand Slam last year, Gavin, or the Test Series win in Australia and the subsequent November wins, that Ireland had suddenly developed this um, wild offloading game and playing, you know, transitioning brilliantly from defence to attack and playing, you know, unstructured rugby. I always thought that they remained quite structured throughout the successes of 2018. That you know it was very much win penalties, go to the corner, mall. When you're in the opposition 22, just keep pounding away until you get a score, come back, start all over again. Um, punctuated by some nice strike plays and set moves. You saw it in Australia, though, Jerry, yeah. Tries. Yeah, I'm just saying that, God, that it's punctuated by some nice strike plays and set moves, such as that winning try in Twickenham, which when, you know, Ty Corland did his pirouette in midfield and released uh, Bundyaki through the middle and he passed the supporting CJ standard the inside. The Jacob Stockdale try against the All Blacks being a classic illustration of point. That was the only try Ireland scored that day. And um, I went back through the stats and checked the offloading stats on Ireland 1 and Twickenham uh, to, to the, on Paddy's Day to complete the Grand Slam. And Ireland made two offloads in that match. I don't remember Ireland suddenly branching into this offloading. I don't think it was offloading. I think it was kind of like Stuart Lancaster's way with Leinster, you know what I mean? Where they, they deal with what's in front of them. It's the chaos theory that, that br- brought Leinster to another level. And it, it's at, at such at odds with Schmidt's way that he, he, he embraced it and then seemed to not to... I'd love to get your take on... 
he said, um, we changed that rhythm. He said this in the airport there the other day in front of like five journalists for five questions. He made one really interesting thing. He said, we changed that rhythm during the Six Nations. It was like this brand new revelation that he's never spoken about before, but he would, would not be specific. So he, he said, if I could go back in time, I wouldn't let that change happen. So was it his change? Was it the assistant coaches who wanted to, who felt like things were slipping away? Was it the players wanting the Leinster way? Like what? He comes out at the very end and says, "There was and a gives a hint. There was a, it gives us a, gives hint. a hint. Like it's not acceptable, yeah. and it shouldn't be acceptable to Irish supporters who want to know what happened." Mm. And we're sitting here now in limbo in this grey area. And going on the Late Late Show, which Schmidt will probably end up doing, <laughs> is not acceptable. Like it shouldn't because Ryan Tuberty shouldn't be the person to try and drill answers out of him. But that's what we're. That was very. Did, that was a very. That was a very ago. annoying aspect. That's was very annoying. Aspect and that's what we're facing at the moment. Uncle Joe will go on the Late Late Show, and all will be okay in the world. You know, like I just don't. I I just think we've got. We, we can't let this go until we get some proper answers because it'll stain the next management because they're the very same. Andy Farrell's coming in as a defence coach. He's staying by this tournament. You know what I mean? Is Enda McNulty still involved? Like Kieran, Kieran Shannon wrote a very interesting piece in the Examiner about his impact. I'd recommend people go read that. Jerry, I'm kind of wondering about that actually, what Gavin's saying there. If we do assume that Eason Asewa was acting as a mouthpiece for some of the players that are still there, and it does, like, I mean, and as you said, a fairly cutting criticism of Joe Schmidt. And if the players, if that come, if that's part of a little PR campaign from the players, it's not like the Irish Irish coaching ticket is changing. Essentially, he's leaving. Is a Mike Cat is coming in, and John, is that yeah. John Fogarty's taking over? And the scrum. that's it. So, so Fink yeah, and, and Schmidt are leaving, which is two very and, experienced teams. And, and Andy Farrell is being promoted from assistant coach to head coach, and Simon Easterby is still there, and they're two of the key figures in the new coaching regime. And now you have a scenario whereby some of the leading Leinster stroke leading Irish players may have um, um, prompted Easton to say, or may not, we're only guessing, um, but it, there's certainly that implicit um, suggestion within those comments um, of, in, into something of a critique of the um, training drills and tactics and game plan employed by Joe Schmidt, of which those coaches were, were, were either a part of or weren't a part of, or if they, should, if they weren't a part of, should have been a part of, like they cannot um, be untainted by these accusations either. And so th- these questions will continue and Whenever Andy Farrell next hosts a press conference, be it in, oh, I don't know, Six Nations, the build-up to the Scottish first game against Scotland, whatever, he's going to get asked about this because they're, they're up there in the air. Yeah, Easton Asiba, I think, has done Irish rugby a service here. You know, he's done it. He's come out and he's said clearly, he goes, this is what happened. This is what went wrong. And uh, I don't think it'll, I don't think it'll, it'll, they can't let this stumble into the Six Nations. It'll taint the new, the new era. This has to be addressed and now. Then, yeah. And then he went on to say that they missed, um, they took confidence blows along the way and that affected their confidence, which is echoing what Gordon Darcy said with you, Gavin, during the week as well, which is fair enough. That's obviously the case. And then he went on to say that... He said there was was niggles. He he made four clear excuses in the aftermath, you know, which is amazing that he was doing this. The man used to never make them. No, 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 no. On a separate point, on a separate point, Gavin, I was speaking, on a separate point, Issa I'm talking about, he goes on to say that Johnny was missing the kind of players he he needs around him to make that game flow. It's the exact same personnel that were there last year. I well, don't see anybody missing bar Dan Levy and Sean O'Brien wasn't heavily involved. Carberry was never fit though, really, was he? No, he wasn't, but I'm talking about the players around. Oh yeah, well, I'm talking about East's comments and the players yeah, around. Yeah, the me too. Yeah, you I, know? Pres- I presume he and, meant Carberry there. The players are the same players that were that largely there in 2018. Yeah. Answer me that one. <laughs> that's, a, that's a real riddle to me. Well, I felt I felt he I felt he was implying uh, that it was Carberry, but like, again, it, Jerry, surely what he's saying is coming from 
the players. Like Issa is not, as you said yourself, he's not the kind of person just to come out. He's not a rabble rouser. No, and he's done a column with us a couple of times and it's top notch. It's really, it's really clever and incisive. He's got a coach's brain. Um, and as you said yourself, he's got a great relationship with Schmidt. But what's Schmidt? Not anymore, he doesn't. <laughs> um, no, I'd say these things happen. You know, I mean, Steve yeah. Hansen and Schmidt have banged against each other over the years. Eddie Jones and Cech have banged against each other over the years. This like, is different. Gonna, this is a former be. pupil. This is a former pupil. Who but if somebody doesn't question Schmidt, like the great last time. year, Jay, great, great, great times together, Gavin. Great times. Yeah, I know. This but, is different. But look what happened in the last year. It's not like comparing a coach coach relationship. No one's questioning what Schmidt's achievements have been. But like, in this, his final year, something has gone terribly wrong. In all the major games Ireland have played, they've been beaten. Like beating France at home doesn't count. Winning in Murrayfield, stumbling to victories in Murrayfield and Rome, they don't count as... Like, we were both there in Shizuoka. We saw what happened in the second half. It was clueless. Now, granted, we know Sexton and Carby weren't on the pitch. But, like, something has been... Like, progressively, there's been a downward spiral. That normally, you'd look at Schmidt teams and go, wow, that's all in the money. The logic is there, everything. It hasn't been there. He almost mimics Eddie O'Sullivan in 2007 by going, by sticking, like, so over-ridiculously to the team. So, ignoring form. Uh, and then now it's coming out that there's a, a refusal to change or a refusal to go past... And the game is evolving in front of our eyes, and he stood still. And uh, repeatedly, the excuses come out, and it's not him. It's never. It was never his fault. Jerry, the one thing, just on a more human level, that I was struck by with what um, Joe Schmidt was saying at the airport was that he commented on not having a day off in six and a half years, and like even allowing for a little bit of um, artistic license in that. I wouldn't be surprised if it was true. And when you look at him, he looks like a a drawn guy. I mean, that's not a healthy obsession, is it? it I, I get the impression that maybe Joe Schmidt's tank is just completely empty at the moment. Well, I think we spoke, we spoke about this on the last podcast, mm. didn't we? I mean, I remember when, interviewing him when he was first with Leinster and he said that in his uh, three years at Claremont, he um, played nine or 18 holes of golf every Wednesday before he collected his kids from school. And in his first year at Leinster, he had, I think he played nine holes once. I would doubt he. I'd say he's safely. I think he manages one annual game a year with uh, Mick Carney, Andy Farrell, and one other. I think that's about the height of it. Um, even then, he's probably talking rugby most of the way around the golf course. His handicap must uh, be terrible. Yeah, yeah. I'd say it's shrunk beyond trace. But yeah, I mean that's the kind of person he is. He's an obsessive um, attention to detail. He puts an awful lot of work into his job. Um, I'd say partly Kelly. What part of the reason was just to get back to family life and just to get the the pressures of job were getting to him were devouring him. I mean, when he says he allowed it to the reaching World Cup semi-final to become all-consuming, I'd say least, most of all that was all-consuming for him and became an all-consuming job. And uh, you're right, I don't think his skin colour looks great. I think he's lost weight. He looks very drawn. you got to remember a month out, or the week before the first warm-up game against Italy, he lost his month, flew home to New Zealand and back in time to be with the Irish team against Italy in, in one week. And... I don't know, I think you need a little bit of grieving time for those kind of things, going to my own personal experience of losing a mum. And uh, I, I'm kind of glad for his sake that he is no longer um, head coach of Ireland in some respects. I'm very sorry for him that it ended, and for all the group of players that won't get a chance in a World Cup again, that it ended this way. It's going to haunt them, I'm sure, for nice. I'm sure they don't sleep very well. Um, it's upsetting for them. It must be one of the biggest disappointments of their career. And, um, yeah, I think he could do with the break. I hope he gets a nice holiday in the sun somewhere. He'll sub- he's eating, maybe has a few drinks and just spend some time away from the game. He looks like a fellow who could definitely do with a good year away from the game, much like Pep Guardiola did in football and others. And then 
if he comes back to the game, be, hopefully be refreshed and having learned a lot of lessons. Every coach in the world that I know of has suffered failure along the way. Warren Gatlin was fired by Ireland. Michael Shecker was fired by Stade Francais. Graeme Henry was let go by Wales. Steve Hansen was let go by Wales. Almost no coach ever has gone through life never having lost a job. Um, they all suffer disappointment for it. Uh, Stuart Lancaster and Andy Farrell amongst them. And you know what? They, all, they nearly all, if they get another chance, come back better for the experience because, as Declan Kidney is off one to say, you, lo- you learn more from your defeats than you do from your wins. Ah, like rugby does, you're right. right. Rugby does need... Uh, it would be great to have Schmidt back. And I think around July next year, the offers will become so tempting. And he said it himself, he's had some incredible offers. We're only guessing, but like, what are they? You know what I mean? Like, is it, are the French after him? Are the Wallabies after him? So the thing is about Schmidt is he will learn from all these mistakes and he'll come back to haunt Ireland. Yes. <laughs> Unless he is still living here. He's not le- he's, he's His not base leaving, is still yeah, Dublin course, yeah. and there'll be, he'll be so much demands on his time outside of rugby now. And like, there, there is a remarkable... He's a remarkable man. But 2019, we can't ignore what happened. You know, we can't ignore it. We can't ignore like how what has happened to this team and how it went from being the best in the world to being, like, what, sixth or seventh? Well, uh, considering uh, that uh, even in the run-up to this tournament, we were, we were still mentioning 2007, we will have plenty of time to examine the tale of this as, uh, as we go on. Uh, there is still a World Cup going on and the semi-finals are this weekend. Um, Jerry, give us your take on... Uh, We'll pick England, New Zealand. Um, like, is it the de facto final? Um, I think whoever wins will be hot favourites to win the final. Um, perhaps particularly so if it's against Wales, who haven't done an awful lot, haven't played an awful lot of rugby, save for the Australian match, which is a belter, but since then haven't done an awful lot and certainly didn't do much in the quarter final to justify the present semi final. They owe a huge debt to Sebastian Vaha Mahina um, for that elbow into the face and getting himself sent off because France were in charge of that game and played nearly all the rugby. Um, and all the other factor as well, of course, is that whoever wins Saturday's semi-final has a seven-day turnaround to the final. It seems particularly cruel that whoever wins Sunday's semi-final has only a six-day turnaround into a World Cup final. That seems curious scheduling to me. I don't see why they couldn't have done the Saturday-Sunday gig the following weekend as well, for that nobody wants a three, third, fourth-place playoff, and then the final. So there's a number of reasons, but also they just looked at like the two strongest sides of the, last, of the four last in it. Um, the All Blacks were incredible against Ireland. Sean Fitzpatrick called it their best performance in four years. They developed this new way of attacking, which ironically was forced upon them. They felt as much as anything by the two defeats against Ireland. But England have the weaponry to um, to hurt them in a way that Ireland don't. They have really serious ball carriers and believe Unapolo, Makavunapolo, Manitoulagi and so forth that Ireland just don't have. You know, that kind of infusion of um, Pacific Island ball carrying. It's just not something that Ireland really have in their ranks. And myself and Gav talked about this as well in the last podcast. Um, interesting couple of selections. There's been marvellous jousting all week mm. between Eddie Jones mm. and Steve Hansen. It's been, it's been, I was actually, you know, in, in, the, in the fallout of Ireland's exit, you know, they always have a little bit of a, a lag. <laughs> I'm used to it at this stage. <laughs> we call it the semi-final lag. Ireland are here no more. The media's group is, you know, diluted and so forth. And then you kind of pick yourself up with some cracking games and this is a cracker. And then you're listening to Steve Hansen for the first 10 minutes today just completely debunk all the little hand grenades that Eddie Jones has been trying to fire his way about uh, claiming that they, their training was spied upon but not saying it was the All Blacks by saying pressure was going to be following the All Blacks down the street because they're going for their three in a row. And he just said, of course, that you'd be naive to think that there isn't just as much pressure on England. They've been building for this for four years. It's the biggest game in four years. And they've got the memory of their failure at home and home soil in 2015, where they're the only hosts never to get out of the pool stages. Um, and they, and you know, 
he's very, very good and just dismissing all of these non on these suggestions by Jones. And then we finally get around to a little bit of the rugby and they both unveil very interesting hands today because um, the All Blacks have gone with Scott Barrett in their back row. They and fear the England thing. line out, Jerry, don't they? Well, if you think so. back to last November, yeah. when they think back to last November when they won sixteen fifteen, in the second half they stole five of England's ten lineouts with Barrett on the pitch at the third lock. Yeah. So this is a signal of a tenth that they're going after the English lineout. And then England, by contrast, have, um, Eddie Jones has reverted to George Ford and Owen Farrell as ten twelve. Owen Farrell's body language during the pool stages at twelve was not of a player who's particularly happy to be in that position. He's the ultimate um, alpha male. He needs to be the captain and the out half. Um, and he look his body language, his visual fa- facial expressions, his ha- smiling during the game against Australia were of an altogether happier man. But Eddie Jones has gone back to this, and perhaps it's taken a leaf out of the Lions' manual because if you think after the first Test defeat in Eden Park, Warren Gatland resorted to two dual playmakers at ten twelve by restoring Johnny Saxon and Owen Farrell. And it worked a treat, and it was key to them winning the second test in Wellington and drawing the third. So they both tailored, they both gone for a little bit of horses-for-course selection, and it's just, I can't wait for it, it's just been set up brilliantly. It's just going to be an epic match. I still think the All Blacks, although it might be more of a seesaw ride, as Eason Asewa also said, I still think the All Blacks scale anything like the heights of a week ago, they're going to win this match. It's been brilliant, Jerry Hansen, during this World Cup. We'll say if 2015 was sort of built on famous names and and brilliant players, they've kind of constructed a a lot of this team mid-flight. I know it's still built on strong foundations, but they've been making it up to a certain degree as they've been going along and getting everything right. It's extraordinary. It's like, it could be their finest creation yet. It's broken the mould. The module for all previous World Cup winners was you know, intact, largely for four years, a relatively experienced team with like 50 caps for man and average age in the high 20s or around about there. And they've got, they've got a backline with an average age of 25 and four of them have like got an average of only 15 caps and the four Crusaders boys. And they've just gone with energy and form. They, they're in a great position in that they've got the best conveyor belt of talent in the world so they can, they can do this. But it's still been extraordinary to see that like, you look at Kieran Reid now and compared to four years and eight years ago, one of the great, great All Blacks number eights, maybe now the greatest ever if Definitely. he leads he was the All Blacks last to this week, World Cup. Ah, I don't know how he, he didn't supreme. win man of the match, Gav. Yeah, he was a supreme like, player on the He reinvent pitch. himself. He's, you could almost draw an analogy with Cristiano Ronaldo. Ronaldo in his early days played in the wings and scored loads of goals cutting in from the wings and was brilliant in the wings because he was a dribbler and he was quick and he was young and take players on. He reinvented himself in the last few years as a central main striker. Like the first, the first the try, section. Jerry, against Ireland. Yeah. He, he, he picked uh, out Rory Best and nearly just destroyed him when he dropped the shoulder into him. And Best couldn't get cur- up then to cover, to, to cover the pillar. And that's how Aaron Smith got over. It was pure, he's hammering pure people. Yeah. He's hammering people in midfield. And he's also being used as a third playmaker because his hands are so magnificent. And the timing of the support runs onto his little tip-on passes when it looks as if he's about to carry and he slips the ball wide. And it just forced Ireland to making more and more soakage tackles. I thought he was, and the, as you say, Gavin, the big hits. I just thought he was outstanding. Now, he, was, he missed training on Monday and Tuesday. He joked, I think it was a calf strain. He joked he doesn't like to train in the wet. But he looked fine in front of the media today and you can be sure he's going to lead them out. Yeah, and he just he's so inspiring. I mean, while it's great that they have so many young players, you've still got to have some real natural born leaders and he leads by deed as Bowden Barrett said he leads by deed Sunday Gav uh, South Africa Wales uh, Wales have kind of tiptoed to as Jerry mentioned there they've had one good performance Do, are they they're coming in as, as underdogs they won't mind that 
Uh, I've been to a couple of their games. Yeah, can I just say I think England? Uh, we've no. I think England might just edge it because of all the things we've said. There's Billy Vunapolo, there's mm-hmm. Manitou Alagi. Uh, they're going to have their gain line. But you've yeah, been to a couple of Wales games. Their performance against Australia just shows what a great what a great coach Gatland is. Yeah. And like their team, when you flick through it, they lost Anscombe, their out half before the World Cup. They lost Falatau. They're like again a number eight that we talk in the same breath as Vunapolo and Reid gone. Okay, they've just lost Navidi gone and you still give them a chance because they are a, they are the sum of the parts team that Ireland wish they were you know it's just in every element imagine losing the Howley and not missing a beat like they have Like, and I saw Gatlin in his first press conference after the Howley betting scandal at, at the start and it was as if nothing had happened he, he came out dealt with it and moved on they've got um, all these things that tell you that it could be their time but when we break it all down I gotta stay with the Springboks just because of the raw power. Like, they do, they really should have put more points on Japan, only that their handling let them down. Mm. Like, they couldn't get the ball out to the wings in quick time. They have lost Cheslin Colby, but the pack that finishes for South Africa is just going to, I think it's just going to overpower Wales. And Wales just don't have the bench to live with. The, the pack that finishes against South Africa is the biggest pack that's ever played rugby. So, I'm thinking... A South Africa-England final? <laughs> <laughs> Jerry, the, what really struck me about South Africa against Japan, absolutely, their, their, their strength, their power, their size, all of that is fantastic. But they were so much smarter against Japan than we were. They had a lead. They had yeah. a lead mm. as well as a bigger pack. And what they did was, it was almost, it was almost cynical as well as clinical. Mm. They just put the ball up in the air into the Japanese 22 and said, right, score from there if you can against our blitz defence. I wish we did that. well yeah. nigh on impossible. And uh, it looked almost aimless kicking. They kicked the ball out of hand 30 times. It was, it was actually like going back to Munster rugby with the mm. South African pack. It was, um, and it was grand to beat Japan when Japan were chasing the game. Although the first half was brilliant, Japan were right, looked like they were, might be right in the match. But they had a lead, the Springboks. I don't think that the Springboks' back play and uh, creativity is enough at the moment as things stand, or indeed their kicking game as things stand, to win a World Cup. Um, you can throw that brutal physicality at teams like Italy and Japan, and you can bludgeon them into submission, as they might well do against Wales. But I don't know that that's going to work against England or certainly New Zealand come a final. They tried it against the All Blacks. I was at the game. It was compelling viewing for 25 minutes. They maybe won 80% of the collisions um, and forcing the All Blacks back repeatedly. And the All Blacks were just looking for the half chance, any transition from defence to attack, and bang. And sure enough, bang, 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 17 points in five minutes. And I think that um, Springboks will have enough to beat Wales the weekend because Wales, if you look at it, have created very little since the Australian game. Jonathan Davies remains a big doubt. They're not a particularly creative um, team at the moment. They're getting by on the brilliance of their defence but even their defence was exposed quite a lot by the French particularly out wide um, I don't know I don't think it's going to be the pretty of the two semi-finals that's for sure I think Razzie's quite cute going to 6-2 split again it's a risk for sure but it means that he doesn't overload his um, his backs because he plays so much with his forwards and he's not overloading his tight five forwards either because he can change all five of them so he can lighten their load and that could be significant for a six-day turnaround for the final I expect that Africa will be in that final and I'd be very surprised if, if they're not playing New Zealand again it feels like a dress rehearsal for the final and it could be that we'll come one complete full circle from the first weekend from the first weekend exactly that feels like what about four years ago at this stage nah about ten <laughs> yeah, it's a decade isn't it <laughs> Gentlemen, thank you very much. Cheers. Thank, thank you, Gav. Thank you to you, Pat. Thanks, Pat. Thanks to Declan and JJ behind the desk over there. See you later, folks. 
added time is supported by Fitbit. With Amazon Alexa built in, your personalised sleep score and a 5 plus day battery life, Fitbit Versa 2 takes smartwatches to the next level.